0: the problem was, why is it that I can remember an email I sent two years ago, but not a conversation I had two hours ago? And meetings are inherently expensive. And it is super, super important that you recall that information. And then how can I really build a personal system that follows me around? Because all the executives have like a chief of staff or a secretary, but can we build AI that every person can have that takes notes for them, reminds them before their meetings, debriefs them, all of that?
1: Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25 year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Krish Ramanini. Krish is the co-founder and CEO of Fireflies AI an AI meeting assistant that transcribes, summarizes, and analyzes meetings. Named on the Forbes 30 under 30 list, Krish graduated from UPenn. He was one of the youngest product managers at Microsoft, leading projects in customer voice and growth. He has guest lectured at Stanford on machine learning and holds patents in workflow automation. Krish is a thought leader in SaaS AI as an active startup advisor. Welcome, Krish. Good to see you. Thank you for joining. Really appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Shauna. I'm excited to be here.
1: Awesome. Okay, I'm hitting you with some rapid fire out of the gate. Um, Do you have a favorite video or board game? Board
0: game? I Probably Settlers of Catan. I've done it. I've played that. Uh, Video game, I do play from time to time. So I'm a big uh, Age of Empires fan. So anything related to real-time strategy uh, for the people that grew up in the 2000s might know. Uh, And then with the younger generation, so some of my younger cousins and friends, I
1: play Fortnite. Oh, nice. And what's the best movie you've seen or the the one that you would like absolutely watch again?
0: I, oh, that's a, that's a tough one. Uh, I've seen a bunch of really good movies. Uh, I actually try to like watch movies that are not related to work as surprising as it sounds. Uh, So I'm a huge fan of Action movies, Born series, the trilogy. Or I guess yeah. it's more than two, three now. What was interesting was uh, I saw Mission Impossible recently, and there was just so many similarities to like Chat GPT because oh, it's God. Tom Cruise versus AI that takes over the world. And I was like, this is too too similar to work. So yeah, uh, you're like, I
1: got to take a break.
0: Yeah, That's but it, it was it was a really fun movie to watch.
1: And are there three words that you would use to describe your management style?
0: Front and center. I guess if you can count that as uh, one word, passionate and intense.
1: Nice, I wanna get more into that. Um, Tennis or cricket?
0: Oh, I would prefer to watch and play, I guess cricket. Yeah, I like that more.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And is there a CEO that you want to meet or that you most admire that you like think of when you're like, what would this person do?
0: I would definitely say that the Atlassian founders are someone that I really look up to in terms of how they built their company, how they bootstrapped it. Uh, Zapier's CEO as well, Wade Foster, like I think another phenomenal person in terms of how he's built his company. Um, Again, uh you know, Jason Lemkin can't be uh, ignored because he's basically the father of SAS as people call him. Uh, And he's just put out so much incredible work and helped the community. So uh, I think all all of these folks are probably very instrumental in the way that I've designed and architected the organism that is fireflies.
1: Yeah. And is there a quote that you live by or something that really resonates for you that you hear or see?
0: Yeah, I think something that's more relevant than now is balance isn't something that you find. You have
1: to create it. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. You're like a startup guy. I mean, not really that startupy because 2015, that's you've been around for a while or 2016. Which were, when did you start the company?
0: So we started working on various projects around 2016 after I left Microsoft. It was really 2018, 2019 that we started working on the technology that is Fireflies today, the voice tech and all of that. We launched in 2020. So I almost think of 2020 as our like inception launch to customers. And then 2016 to 2020 was this walking through the desert, uh, figuring out what you need to do without a map and realizing you're already too deep in and you can't leave. Uh, so it was probably one of the most, uh, intense, painful self-discovery years of our lives, bootstrapping, uh, consulting, you know, thinking about, wow, I left a nice comfy job. Am I really doing the right thing? Self-doubt. Uh, but those were probably the most transformative years that, uh, shaped me.
1: Oh, I'm sure. And so tell me about like early childhood, where are you from? And tell me about your family and kind of inspirations when you were little.
0: I grew up in the Bay Area, uh, since I was five, I was living in the Bay, I moved from India when I was a, a kid, but pretty much all my childhood is in Silicon Valley, um, near San Jose, a place called Pleasanton, it's about 30 minutes away, uh, it's in the East Bay, went to school there from elementary all the way through high, then I went to the East Coast, I went to UPenn for undergrad, and then I was at, in Seattle at Microsoft. And then Boston spent a little bit of time with my co-founder. We moved the company to San Francisco. Uh, So that's basically been like the last like two decades in in, in like a quick summary. But growing up, always surrounded by technology companies, family that was in tech, relatives that were in startups. So it was just very commonplace for me to just do that. And I myself told myself, I would not do that. Um, I want to do something different from my dad. And uh, I what did you what
1: did your dad do? I know you I read that you were going to be studying medicine and go in the medical field and you kind of pivoted. But what did your dad do?
0: Yeah, well, my mom really wanted me to be a doctor because she was going to go to med school, but then she got married and uh, uh, life just happened as we describe it inside our house. Uh, So she always wanted her kids to be doctors. So uh, I didn't end up being a doctor. My brother's a software engineer. Uh, and so now her thing is like, yeah, I'm gonna just have a daughter-in-law who's a doctor at this point in time. And she's like, yeah, you know, you keep wishing, <laughs> but That's you know, so those things are not planned. Uh, my yeah. dad's uh, in the software industry, he works at Oracle. So he's doing tech, software engineering related stuff, database, infrastructure, uh, all this intense stuff that like is really, really stressful. Um, and, uh, he's been there for like, I think the last 20, 20 plus years at Oracle.
1: Yeah. And how come when you say that you didn't kind of draw inspiration from the tech world, like what was it about it that you were, uh, not into?
0: I think it was because everyone was doing it and, uh, I wanted to do something different. And so I kind of went through this phase where I started undergrad as pre med. I was doing research on neuroscience uh, at Stanford. And then I was doing a lot of this cognitive science work. Uh, I was shadowing like doctors. And so my entire world starting in high school was different. It was oriented towards the biological sciences. Um, Mm. And even when I decided I didn't want to be a doctor after like the first semester of school, uh, I thought I would want to go into something like hardware or like manufacturing, like things that you can touch and feel um versus uh shipping code and bytes over the internet. Uh yeah. but I think one thing that really pulled me back into it is software is one of the fastest ways to have a dramatic impact on the world in terms of the amount of people you can reach. Uh so two kids in a garage building something that can be used by millions of people in such a short period of time. Uh that was really exciting to me cuz if you balance your life around creating impact uh, I just felt like the best delivery mechanism was software, and oh, so sure. as I started working on projects, hackathons, things with friends, um, I slowly got into it. That's how I taught myself how to code. That's how I learned to enjoy the bits and pieces of uh, building tech. Uh, mm-hmm. Got really into user experience and design, and uh, yeah, it, it was it was the reverse way. It wasn't something that I had planned for
1: at the start. Yeah, and how did you choose Pen?
0: Well, when I decided I wasn't going to be a doctor, so I spent my first, uh, uh, I guess, semester or first year at Rice. At uh, uh, Rice, yeah. Uh, for, uh, for folks that want to get into med school or go to med school there, like there's just, I have so many friends that are now uh, doctors in residency that I s- took like my first bio class with. So it's great to see uh, where they're at. Uh, I decided actually, you know what, I'm going to go do something else. Uh, I need to do something in like Wall Street or finance. And then the first couple of weeks I was there at Penn, I quickly realized that I was not meant for Wall Street. Like I wanted to like create stuff. I was a builder um, and no diss to my friends and my best friends are all who are uh, in finance, but it just felt like, um, you know, it's not something that I could relate to in terms of creating value in the real world. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I said like, yeah, this isn't the right fit for me. Let me just double down on tech. Um, and startups, and just went really, really deep uh, into that. Uh, I think having a, some of the finance bend really helps in terms of operating a business and how you think about business. But for it sure, and even when you went
1: to even when you went to go raise money, which we can get into, a lot of times when I'm talking to entrepreneurs, like that there's there's kind of like, you know, drinking from the fire hose, learning about uh, that whole process. And if you kind of understand a little bit, it puts you in a better position, I would imagine. You know, if you've worked and had taken some finance and business courses um, versus just been like full-blown engineering. Um, Tell me about Enactus, the company I read about.
0: So that one was an interesting one where they were trying to create value through social entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And that was an interesting way. Like instead of just nonprofits, can you create businesses that can create value and allow people to, you know, sustain themselves. So I think entrepreneurship is one of the best ways to create value. Um, And so if you can help improve people's lives through that, what I ended up doing there was it was a club. I got pulled into it by a friend and then I got recruited into being like the director of technology for that uh, thing. It was all student run. And I realized that every business that was spinning out of an actus needed some sort of tech, uh, foundations, right. Whether it was websites or payment systems and quickly realized that no matter what field you're in, you're going to need to have some sort of digital footprint. And so software was eating the world. And I think that reaffirmed my belief that whether you're building an e-commerce website, whether you're selling shoes, uh, there's everything is tied back to the digital world and so I felt like I made the right decision at the time to go deeper there.
1: Yeah. And so was that something that you could have like kept going with or because I know that right it's right out of school that you went to Microsoft right? straight from Penn. So they recruited you off campus?
0: Right. So I uh, was recruited off campus uh, to be a product manager at Microsoft. Uh, remember I flew to Seattle for my on-campus interviews, like four or five interviews. Um, very memorable because I was put in a circuit with like some of the senior folks, MBAs and, uh, grad students. And I'm like, what am I doing here? I'm the only undergrad and there's like 20 other people. And there's one spot you're really fighting for at that time. Um, and I think, I don't know how recruiting has gotten since that time that I, that I did it. Um, But I was like, you know, I'm not never moving to Seattle anyway, so let me just go have fun and just uh, do my best. Uh, And I think it was the last interview that they said, hey, we want you to talk to someone. And this person was like a corporate vice president um, as part of our final interview. And it was him more convincing me why Microsoft was a great place for me to be there and less of an interview. And then I felt like, hmm, I, I guess I did pretty well uh, for them to want to bring someone senior in and want to talk to me. Uh, but it was a really interesting interviewing experience because I had interviewed at other companies where I was far more nervous, like thinking, will they like me? Am I good enough? And then, I, uh, you know, when you go in with the mindset that like, uh, I have to figure out if they're the right fit for me. And I know like my stuff, like that kind of completely changes how you approach it, the confidence and, The things that just click on the spot um especially when you're doing those design questions and just being creative so nerves is a big part because there's people that are really really good outside of those pressure cooker situations but when it comes time to deliver whether that's in sports whether that's in music or even interviewing for a job uh, i just realized like your mindset plays such a big role
1: yeah have you ever and this is kind of like pivoting but i'm just curious like when you're, now that you're on the other side and you're in the seat of the interviewer, not the interviewee, um, do you ever have that voice in the back of your head? Like have some empathy, like, especially in like coding challenges and stuff for engineers, sometimes some of them are not great at whiteboarding, but they're like killer engineers. Um, We've seen that in recruiting. Like how much of that experience shaped your like recruiting outlook and strategy?
0: We definitely look at everything holistically. Uh, so even if you, we have coding interviews, are they a good cultural fit? What is the past work that they've done? Uh, how did they think about system design? So looking at what people have done and built and the problems they tackled is usually a really good indicator yeah. and then how they communicate, how they are able to, you know, not take 10 days to respond, but like you're very efficient and very diligent. Uh, about, you know, following up communication is such a big part of it to be a part of like that, the culture at Fireflies, we're fully remote. So you need to have that DNA where you don't need someone to manage you, you are self sufficient, and someone that isn't gonna try to do the bare minimum and like avoid getting exposure, uh, versus someone that's gonna like, roll up their sleeves and jump right in. So whether you're a manager, whether you're an IC, that's something that we look at. So yeah, definitely the decision is not just based on your coding interview, but it's holistically on all the things you've done. And we typically hire more senior folks with three to five years of experience at a minimum. So Mm -hmm. that means that we look at a lot at where you're uh, coming from and what type of work you've done.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And so you talked about um, the Microsoft culture. How would you describe it? And what role has that experience and culture um, played as far as informing your own leadership style that you described?
0: Microsoft was a great way for me to understand how big systems are built for scale. Uh, I think a lot of startups forget that it's not just about hacking something together and having like a spaghetti of code that you just go deploy. Like there are systems and processes in place, which I didn't appreciate at the time. I was like, man, I just want to move fast. Like this is taking too long. But now as we've scaled, I realized that to build great products, you need to have systems in place. Uh, So definitely that was a really important thing. Uh, I also learned that like just communication styles are different because in the larger the org gets, everyone wants to hop into a meeting, you need to get everyone at the round table, And that's something I didn't want to necessarily do. I wanted to make decisions fast. And I wanted to be decentralized in a way. So if we need to do Mm -hmm. a sync. So just things that I learned about how to operate a company, and then giving people more autonomy, like if you trust someone to do really good work, and that's the reason you hired them. You have to trust them to have some of the autonomy to make decisions. And even if they make mistakes, being okay with it, because the gains are going to be greater than the mistakes. I think I've crafted my own unique way from learning from the big companies and uh looking at other startups where you need a healthy balance of systems but and guardrails, but you also need to just let people run.
1: Yeah, oh, definitely. So you, um I think I read it was like two years ago, made it onto the Forbes 30 under 30. I remember I wanted to get, 40 under 40. I'm like, 30 under 30 is impressive. I don't even know how they come up with the list or if people submit names. I'm super curious how the process works. I just know that I'm impressed. Um, I'm curious what it, if anything, like, what does that mean to you? And what was that kind of night like for you?
0: So that one was really interesting that we had been nominated in previous years and uh this time around i didn't really focus too much into it um it really comes from nominations and uh, referrals from folks and then also depends on the judges that pick you so uh i just remember waking up and getting some notifications and then realizing oh the announcements are today i thought they're gonna do it like next month so i was caught by surprise uh but again i think the process is more of you have different industries like technology, fashion, commerce, um, and then they pick 30 people within those. So folks that are doing interesting things in the startup realm definitely get uh, an opportunity to be there. Um, But I I don't think it changed anything uh, other than the fact that, hey, we still have to keep doing what we're doing, Um, but it's a nice little recognition um, to have. I know for both my co-founder and I were like, okay, great. It's this more added responsibility to go do good work because uh, we're yes. going to take notice, but really like um, it's great that you also get a community of folks that are also within it. So it's like a little badge, right? Of honor. But at the 100%. end of the day, there's been many people that have made the list that are not doing any company or doing anything big right now. Right. So it's just, in that moment in time, it felt nice. Uh, but yeah. the next day, but in that business.
1: way of like don't read your own press kind of thing, like, yes, it's yeah. great, but it doesn't, it's not a guarantee that, like, yeah. But still, congratulations. Tell me, um, tell me a little bit more about the company about fireflies.ai. Is it um like what is the business and how how is it different than the original idea?
0: So Fireflies today is an AI meeting assistant that joins your meetings across Zoom, Google Meet, Microsoft Teams, all the major video conferencing platforms. It's a note-taker, it analyzes your meetings, summarizes your conversations, and helps you have perfect memory over your past calls. So that's basically what it does, is we wanna allow you to remember every conversation you've had. In the past, we were still doing similar things on top of conversational data, but it was more around like emails and Slack messages. But we really shifted to voice because we thought that was like the biggest opportunity for us Mm. uh, and that there would be uh, a way to really capture information that previously did not exist.
1: Got it. And how did you come up with
0: the name? Uh, We actually had different names when we were doing different hackathons, but we decided to just stick with this name uh, because it just felt easier. Uh, for all of our projects. Well, one of the projects we did in college was like drones. And so we just ended up sticking with the name and uh, it ended up uh, being what we use today.
1: Yeah. So I did read an article um, where Forbes, it was in 2019, where Forbes covered the business and the article was talking about, um, you know, team collaboration software and how the market is calculated by Bloomberg to be a $16.6 billion um, market with a compound annual growth rate of 9.5%. So tell me like, as a chicken and egg thing, were you like, Hey, that's the market we want to go into because we're looking at like total addressable market for a good business opportunity. Or was there a problem that you were solving when you were sitting in, at your desk one day or yeah, like, how did the idea come to be? And obviously I'm guessing this is where Sam comes in. So we
0: don't like to look at market sizing stuff. Cause I think that's, usually inaccurate and uh, it's not the way to build a business. I think it's the best thing to do is look at um, not how big the opportunity is. Sure, if you're a venture capitalist, look at that, but what is the fundamental problem that you need to solve? And the problem was, why is it that I can remember an email I sent two years ago, but not a conversation I had two hours ago? And meetings are inherently expensive and it is super, super important that you recall that information. And then how can I really build a personal system that follows me around? Because all the executives have like a chief of staff or a secretary, but can we build AI that every person can have that takes notes for them, reminds them before their meetings, debriefs them, all of that?
1: Yeah, well, I need it. (laughs) That's all I know. I absolutely need it. Tell me, I know that um, your co-founder, Sam, uh, left MIT, you left Microsoft to start the company. How did you guys meet? and what was his kind of um special sauce that drew you to him and vice versa
0: so sam and i knew each other from college uh although remotely we hadn't met in person until after college uh so we used to work on different hackathons uh after uh classes and problem sets and uh just submit to a lot of different uh uh competitions and always just trying things right so I think the hacker DNA of like wanting to just go build things was really uh, what brought us together. And then Mm -hmm. also just persistence, right? Like you don't get upset because something didn't work. Uh, Instead you are motivated to try something different the next time around. Right. And I I believe that's something that applies to startups. It also applies to relationships and uh, people, friendships, all of that. So like, don't be sad about like the result because we've submitted to many competitions where we didn't place or we didn't win at all, right? Um uh, yeah. but it was just like each time you learn and then eventually your time will come.
1: Absolutely. And has there been, I'm sure along the way, times that have like tested the partnership or where you've had like directionally different ideas? How have you navigated? those situations and conversations and would you would you be open to sharing some of that just like learnings for other co-founders?
0: So I think around the 2018 time where we had tried a few products, didn't really stick, didn't know what we were doing. Um, you know, we both had turned down like jobs I had turned down like grad school uh, before I had started fireflies and then Sam had this thing where he was in the Harvard two plus two program which he got selected for where you work for 2 years after college and then you go to Harvard for business school. So he had that opportunity where he could have said this was fun but it didn't really work, let me just go to Harvard. And I remember him calling me that night when he had to make that decision for Harvard and let them know. He's like, "You know, I really enjoy working on fireflies. I think this would be more fun than business school. And so I'm going to say no to Harvard." And in my mind I'm like, "Are you sure? Are you serious?" Like uh because the path is still very unclear. So I give full credit to Sam, because I don't think 99.9% of people in that situation uh, would have done that they would have taken the comfortable, easy way out. Um, yeah. And so I really, really have so much respect for him at that moment in time. It made I'm us want to sure. work even harder um, and figure out what it is that we need to do. And uh, yeah, those are some of those small things that How many people can say they're fortunate to have like a co-founder like that? So I deeply appreciate him for making that decision. And we haven't looked
1: back since. That's amazing. And tell me about the funding of the business. You've raised 19 million. Tell me about that process. Who was the first person to believe in you and like write you a check?
0: So when we first started, there was this program called Rough Draft Ventures at our college, which funded startups that were coming out. Uh, And so we decided to go and like pitch to them when we left. Um, I remember our, like our initial starting point was we won a hackathon and we earned, earned like $1,600. And that was really the inception of Fireflies. Mm. Uh, it was built on $1,600, really. And we moved to San Francisco. My co founder has his little post. He was living off Soylent and Domino's Pizza, crashing mm-hmm. couches. And it was just an incredible journey um to even move to the bay and i think that was something like i was like we got to move to the bay uh to start the company uh, i don't want to be on the east coast uh and so he finally decided okay i'll move to the bay um now he's based in new york uh i'm not in san francisco anymore I, I mean i'm back and forth from time to time but i'm based in seattle but at that point in time we just felt like it was important to be in the bay yeah and uh we pitched to rough draft they wrote a really small check at that time Uh, And that helped us get going, run all these experiments. And it was around 2018 time that uh, we started talking to some angels who put in small checks, again, relative to like some of these million dollar rounds people are raising, it was like 10K, 20K sort of checks at that time. And we started building out like the voice assistant, uh, made some significant traction around there. Uh, And then it was in 2019 that we went out and said, okay, I believe in the technology and I, I feel like it's the right time to go raise uh, a seed round. And then we went and raised a seed. It was a 4.5 million seed around that time. Uh, and Kanan uh, came, uh, came in and invested. Uh, our investor over there, Rafe, uh, like knew us like since 2015, 2016. So he saw all the different iterations. It's like, Oh yeah, these guys just don't give up. Uh, so I don't know about their tech, but I, I believe in the founders <laughs> and uh now they have something to show for it in real customers, so I appreciate that. So um, yeah. it was great to partner with Rafe and came in. And then in 2021, we did our Series A right around the pandemic time uh, after like about a year of traction. And that was a Series A led by Coastal Ventures. Uh, so Sanja uh, was uh, joined our board. Uh, she was previously at Skype and uh, WebEx. Uh, so knew the collaboration and video conferencing space really well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, those were our two folks that are on, on our, on our board. Um, and yeah, we, we, we've, uh, we've been building the business in a way so that uh, venture capital isn't something we're going to have to constantly depend on, not depend on like other companies.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: Cause I always say, right. People say like, if the markets are great, we don't know, right. Like if it's good or not, but it's free money, take it. I don't think venture capital is free money. No. Um, it's well, you've got to give up
1: a lot and then you've got potential conflict around the direction of the company, the the pacing of the scale, just all of it. Yeah, you, you have gotta- to use it yeah. wisely. Yeah. And then
0: you want to be in a situation where uh, you have optionality to like make the right decisions. Like you don't want to sacrifice uh making the hard decisions for the long-term with short-term gains, which look nice right now. Right. So that's really, really important for us in terms of how we build the company, thinking about first principles, thinking about costs, doing things that will help grow the company. Right. Like I always say that I look at other founders who are definitely thinking about raising tons. Like I have friends that have raised, you know, hundred million plus. And I I know friends that have raised a lot with little traction and I am forever grateful because the VC money is the thing that lights the fire, right? For your business and helps things going. But if you raise too much and if you're not in control of how much you're raising or what you're going to do with that money, that fire that lit up your business initially can quickly burn the house down. 100%
1: hundred percent right yeah so is there um is there a person or are there a handful of people I'm guessing obviously you're bored but that can be it's so crucial that it's the right people like who do you turn to um, for advice and like mentorship
0: I actually try to read as much as possible and get different opinions. I think there is no one person that knows everything. Uh, You have to trade off different opinions because someone will have six different opinions on sales. There'll be, uh, you know, there'll be six different people that have six different opinions on sales. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. the way you want to build a company, you may want to find some folks that have done it that way. Uh, So like when we first started, for example, they said, why are you building this into a horizontal product everyone can use? Only go make this available for enterprises and charge a lot of money have a salesperson, don't have a free plan. Uh, so it just depends on who you get the advice from. And then you see like other people who have done it successfully, where they've done it the way you wanna build the company. And then yeah. you ask yourself, why not? And then people will give you advice saying, well, that's an exception, that's a one-off. Uh, right. Don't assume that's the norm. And, and in my mind, i I challenge that, right? Like if they were able to do it and they thought first principles and the business mechanics are very similar, Why can't that be replicated? So it is a choice, right? Whether you want to burn a ton of capital, whether you want to raise prices, uh, whether you want to make it restrictive, or if you want to open up the product so that everyone can use it and have ways to make money by making it really, really affordable. I think it's a choice. uh, And also depends on how you build your business. Maybe you need to optimize your engineering so that it doesn't cost as much to support a user. So everything is a choice. And those exceptions are because those people took intentional decisions to build a company that way. And I don't believe in following a cookie cutter path uh, that like, hey, you have to do this or you have to burn money on marketing or you have to do this or you have to go get like a big press announcement. So there's a time and place for everything. But like that's been like the biggest thing for me is like advice is a double edged sword. So listen to everyone. But ultimately, you got to make your own decision.
1: Right, I agree with that. And who was your very first customer, the very first kind of money that got wired in?
0: Yeah, this one's hard to remember because we had a self-service product where we just put up like the paywall and they would go and put their credit card numbers in and uh, they would subscribe to the product. So we started getting like one, two subscriptions like in a week and we're like super excited about that. I'm sure. But uh, yeah, for us, it was it was a place where we wanted to be in a place if a person was purchasing the product, they shouldn't know know us, right? It's not like a family friend or a colleague that's purchasing it. Um, And they're a complete stranger that to start Firefly started using and found value in it. Like to me, success is in not getting who you know to use it, but like to be able to just have strangers. Again, the first 20, 30 customers that started was within our network, uh, people we knew. Uh, But I think the point when we got a lot of conviction was when strangers started subscribing and paying for the product. Like, that's like the best feeling um, is like when you know that people you don't know are using it. And then like, if some folks like it enough to go on Twitter or LinkedIn and say, hey, I'm using Firefly, it's an awesome tool.
1: Well, you've got incredible reviews. I did do a deep dive as a potential consumer and um, obviously to prep for the podcast. So you're on a mission to automate work from meetings. Um, Are there real examples of like, the technology and use uh, that customers have shared, like ways it's impacted or maybe just individuals of how it's impacted their business, their lives.
0: One thing that we see is a lot of customer facing teams, salespeople, they hate having to fill out their CRM uh, and their manager keeps hounding them to uh, enter all the data into the CRM. With Fireflies, after the meeting, it'll automatically go log the call activity and notes into Salesforce or into HubSpot And it frees up their time from doing data entry. So not only is it capturing the meeting, allowing you to search back through the meeting, but it's filling out your CRM and helping you stay productive. Uh, For recruiters, uh, it helps them, especially when they're passing a candidate to the next person in the interview circuit, uh, give a recap so that the new interviewer doesn't ask the same boring questions to the candidate. We've seen that so many times. Uh, So there's just so many practical places where you know, someone's not able to attend the meeting. So they send their Fireflies note taker to attend and they catch up on it later. Um, The amount of meeting reduction people can have with Fireflies so that just because for like one person that didn't show up, they don't have to like do that meeting again next week.
1: Yeah. Um, And go on repeat.
0: Yeah. Onboarding folks. So like when a new hire comes in, I'll just give them like three or four Fireflies meeting recaps and tell them, hey, this is why we do XYZ in engineering. So this all hands has a lot of things for you to like get up to speed on. So I don't have to repeat myself Uh, and they can have context on how decisions were made, you know, three months before they joined. So it's really around that collaboration um, and uh, staying organized, right? Like these are just practical things. So that's why I believe Fireflies isn't just meant for an enterprise uh, executive. It's meant for every person that has meetings.
1: And it makes a huge difference because you're right, like the handoff is smoother and um, it makes my next call more efficient because I have stuff to reference that I may or may not have added to the CRM or the ATS. And so how does it integrate exactly? Like if I'm using it and I hang up and pretend you're, you're telling me you need an engineer and I'm taking down all the details and I want to slack the team, do I just send them the link of our conversation So the way Fireflies
0: joins your meetings is it connects to your calendar and then you can Mm -hmm. determine if you wanted to join all your meetings or only meetings you own or specific meetings. And then at the start of the meeting, it would join as a participant to that meeting. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's the note taker would attend as a participant. You can choose to kick it out if you want. Um, And after the meeting, you'll get a meeting recap over email and then you can go view it in the dashboard. Um, And it can also get shared with other folks if you want to share that meeting recap link. And then in that link, you'll have the transcript, you'll have the audio. So you can click on any part of the transcript and listen to it, read it, see the video capture if you're on the business tier. You also get an AI summary um, and you can search through it as well, like for topics and pricing and questions and really within like a few clicks, you can go through a one hour meeting in five minutes.
1: Yeah, it sounds incredibly efficient. And obviously in every industry, efficiency is like where it's at, especially in recruiting. Um, And I get so many emails these days, like the AI space, you know, has become so crowded and it's like the subject of the hour. Tell me about your competition. How do you stay focused and like what makes you different?
0: For us, we think about pricing affordably, making sure that the core stuff, like the transcription, the search, uh, the usability is really, really good and top notch. And so we've seen lots of uh, companies that have only built Fireflies-like technology just for enterprises, just for sales departments. And they'll charge about 10 to 15 X more. And it's very restrictive where you'll have to pay like a $5,000 platform fee. You have to buy a minimum number of seats um, and you're paying like $150 per user per month. And then when they say like, wow, Fireflies has literally all those same capabilities. I can get started for as little as $10 a month or $20 a month. Uh, and then I can add my teammates gradually over time if I find value and I don't need to talk to a salesperson or have to be sold to. I can do my research, try it out on a free trial if I like it and then I get upgraded. So I think reducing friction at every point of the process is really important for us. And to me, like that's something that I, I think deeply about in terms of differentiating, because in the world that we live in today, the digital world, you know, human touch should be a choice. It should not be forced upon you. And people have already done 60% of the research before they come to you. So you can't really hide things about your product, right? So right. self-service is really the pride of our business. Transparent pricing, uh, all these things that will just allow you to not have to talk to us if you don't need to. Uh, so these are the ways we, we try to think about it. And then just going after a very large market, because there's a lot of people that need this and a lot of teams have deep workflows that they need to solve with fireflies
1: well absolutely Now, uh, what has been your recruiting strategy like how many people do you have
0: 100 people right now
1: and for
0: us we always believe in keeping the team small efficient uh and making sure that we hire really good communicators that enjoy working in remote settings that can communicate can document can write things down um, and are thoughtful about their like the way they approach problems right really Mm -hmm. good thinkers Uh, high ceiling is important. Like, it's okay that if you haven't solved like an exact same challenge before, but if you have a high ceiling, high potential, like I'm willing to back someone that is able to learn fast and get there. Because I think the ability to learn and adapt is more important than like hiring like an industry veteran who says it's my way or the highway.
1: Absolutely. Well, things are changing so quickly too. It's almost like funny when people are like, I'd like somebody with 10 plus years experience. I'm like, this is you know that's impossible. Like it's it's really nice. Obviously, AI, machine learning, all of it's been around for a long time. But like we're getting hit with a lot of these types of roles, and we can fill them. But when they start to say they want, you know, like you said, these seasoned vets that have done it, um, that can definitely be a challenge. Um, and your teams are—I know you said you're in Seattle and you're based in San Francisco. Like um, you've got teams though across the world.
0: Yeah, in 20 countries, fully distributed, every person, uh, I think over 40 or 50 cities. So yeah, it's a fully distributed team, North America, Latin America, Asia, uh, India, like Wow, East. that's incredible. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and how do you run a company that's so distributed in so many different cultures and languages and and hold on to the culture?
0: Well, it's important to build a company where everyone feels like they belong. Uh, there isn't this uh, hierarchy necessarily of, you know, what can I say? What can I say? It's, everything is transparent. Uh, we have like open channels for communication on Slack. Uh, and it's important that when we're building a product for the global market, Fireflies is used in over 100 countries. I think diversity is a strength when you have people in those regions that understand their customers and stuff, and they, they put the, those inputs uh, into the products that they're building. And it's amazing to have different cultures, different uh, backgrounds, uh, people coming from all walks of life, being able to interact and yeah. work towards a common mission. So diversity in that regard can be a strength, especially when you're building for a diverse uh, set of folks.
1: Yeah, definitely. And um, what do you currently challenged by in the business? Obviously it's, I'm curious how the business is doing and then what kind of opportunities are right ahead of you?
0: Yeah, this is something we think about a lot Uh, for any founder, any founder, the story is built on dreams, struggles, uh, confusion, and lessons learned. So for us, what we always try to do is how do we balance this art of growing quickly with also building a really sustainable business? Uh, Because at the end of the day, I've seen companies that have gone rocket ship like and then come crashing down because they didn't get their fundamentals right. The foundation wasn't built right. And we are living in a world where there is a lot of macroeconomic uncertainty, right? So we don't know what's going to happen in terms of inflation, in terms of employment, we saw a lot of these tech companies do layoffs. So we're not living in a vacuum. And right, you have to counterbalance that with all of this interest in like generative AI, and like all the stuff we're doing is very hot. So it's very important to be aware, very of super important to be aware of hype cycles, so that Mm. you aren't part of the next burst. So I always think Steady sustainable growth is far more important than these like random spikes and dips um, and being able to to do that. Uh, So we always think about in a world where things become crazy, how do you build something that continues to be valuable for our customers um, and making sure that uh, they're taken care of, right? And that's a very different mindset than saying, I need to go acquire as many customers as possible, as quickly as possible, even if that means burning money and not thinking about like the implications of what will happen when the market changes. This used to be the case with like Yahoo, right? Everyone used to look at Yahoo as like the measuring stick for success. But what happens is most of Yahoo's advertising came from startups. And then Mm -hmm. when there was a recession back in the dot-com bubble, all these startups stopped spending money on Yahoo and then Yahoo dipped, right? Great business, but it was so impacted by the uh very macro climate yeah. that you cannot say that you're you know invincible that's a yeah. always caution is important
1: right and um you've talked you've said the word balance like two three times i'm picking up on it um and i'm and in researching i was like there's no way he's got balance i mean maybe but i also I know that you do. I'm like <laughs> so, I'm guessing you don't have much balance but um are you So you're living in Seattle. I know that you've done guest lecturing at Stanford. Are you teaching now classes? And two questions there. Like what, uh, I guess, what fuels your passion for teaching and when and what are you teaching?
0: Yeah. So that was something I did for a brief period of time. So not teaching right now, but I do tend to advise other startups, companies coming out of accelerators. um, Yeah. Yeah, whether I choose to invest in startups or not, that's something for later. I don't know if yeah. I see myself as an investor. I'm more of an operator. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I don't know if that's something that I would I would pursue. I know that's a common path for a lot of people that are uh, entrepreneurs because mm-hmm. um, I'm a builder, not a networker. <laughs> but you do need a network if you're, you're in, in the startup world. But uh, that's something that uh, I, I kind of think about. So for me, I like to operate where I have very little meetings. Uh, anytime I spend is with customers or teams. Uh, and I like my space outside of the tech bubble. So a lot of my friends aren't in the tech bubble. Um, they are doing other jobs, they're lawyers, they're doctors, they're in, uh, other industries.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and I also like to learn from the real world because sometimes the world gets super distorted when all you see is other tech bros and tech founders that are just, you know, chatting about all of these like things and, uh, you sometimes become out of touch with society so i try to spend as little time as possible in the silicon valley sf circles um i mean i'm in touch with everyone but i don't like to marinate in those circles because i think it gets you into herd uh thinking mindset, mm, and then everyone's that. copying each other and trying to do the same thing and trying to impress the same people and i'm not into that
1: yeah Interesting. And so you're not balanced. (laughs) How do (laughs) you, how do you strive
0: to be, but I think,
1: yeah. What are you doing a founder. The most
0: important thing to realize is that if you are obsessed about what you do in the early years, you're not going to find balance. And whether you look at athletes or other folks that wanted to be really incredible at something, there was no balance at that period of time. It's not sustainable. So I'm aware of that. Uh, But I I do realize that anyone that's doing entrepreneurship, balance is hard to come by and you need to find people, partners, other folks that are okay with the fact that you are going to be a little obsessed with the the thing that you're doing.
1: Yeah. And what do you like to do to relax and what do you like to do for fun?
0: So I love to spend time with family, with friends, do a lot of sports, play, like just outdoors get some fresh air like that's super important to me nature is really refreshing so like if i'm able to go out uh be living near like parks rather than concrete jungles like Mm -hmm. outdoor natures i think that's that's super helpful for me um been attending a lot of friends weddings uh this past year so that's been fun reconnecting uh and touching base with so many uh folks from college and high school Mm uh yeah I, i think it's just uh just basically trying to be with people that, you know, you grew up with and yeah. people, all of this, like the, the tech Crazy. stuff. So I think that's a nice yeah. little-
1: Keeps little... you grounded. Yeah. yeah. And so my, my ultimate question for you is what fuels you?
0: I think the ability to have an impact definitely fuels me. But I think as someone that's building something that's helping my own team, right? When I do payroll every month, when I'm able to write those checks, right, and send payroll out, knowing that uh, there are people that believe in Fireflies, people that believe in the mission, and being able to help them achieve their goals, and help them do their best work, and not have to worry about anything other than being able to do their best work. That, that motivates me, uh, because, like, leadership is not about having all the answers, but, knowing that uh, you're in it with the right reasons for the right people um, and so it's just how do you translate this vision into reality and get a group of people excited about doing that right so that motivates me to bring really smart people together really passionate people together and you form this really tight-knit community
1: Thank you for listening to the what fuels you podcast be sure to subscribe rate and review